0: Welcome to the Educause Integrative CIO Podcast. I'm Jack Seuss, Vice President of IT and CIO at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County.
1: And I'm Cynthia Golden, Associate Provost at the University of Pittsburgh. Each episode, we welcome a guest from in or around higher education technology, as we talk about repositioning or reinforcing the role of IT leadership as an integral strategic partner in support of the institutional mission. Today, we're talking with two leaders from the Educause Young Professionals Advisory Committee, or YPAC. Today, our guests are Luke Van Wingerden. Luke is Chief Information Officer for Tri-County Technical College in Pendleton, South Carolina, and Weesam Hilu, Interim CIO at Cleveland State University. Welcome to both of you.
0: Welcome. So we've been really looking forward to this conversation, Luke and Weesam. Why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself to the audience and tell us how you got engaged with YPAC?
2: Thank you. My engagement with WIPAC started a little over two years ago. I was a director of strategy at Cleveland State University. And at the time, my chief information officer as part of my mentorship and development wanted me to engage in more strategy influenced kind of communities. And that brought Educause about. So I joined Educause and so through joining Educause, I ended up applying to the YPAC so I can grow connections across universities and I can both contribute and also learn from Educause. And that was how I kind of started my YPAC journey.
3: Luke? So I actually had a colleague of mine while I was at the University of South Carolina Upstate who she was very involved in Educause, point out the YPAC saying, hey, you should consider consider this. And if I nominate you, would you accept? It? I think it would be great. To be honest, I didn't know a whole lot about YPAC at that point in time. So that that year, I attended a couple of the YPAC meetings at the annual conference. And I was like, this is actually a pretty cool community. They just welcomed me in. And so I was like, yeah, I'd definitely be interested. And so after going through the application process and reading the questions, the value that I think I could bring to the YPAC, I went through my head, why wouldn't I be willing to give back? Because so many folks have invested in me, whether it's through mentorship or guiding me, whether it's a silent mentor or an active mentor. Within the EDUCAUSE community, the opportunity to help bring in other young professionals or folks new to the education space was critical for me as we as I engaged that in that community.
0: So Luke, I'm going to follow up on your YPAC statement and just ask. You said it was a cool community. What made it cool for you? So the
3: thing that, that I loved about the YPAC the most was they all jump in. None of the folks that are part of the YPAC, the central committee or the broader one, was afraid to try something they didn't know. They were all willing to jump in and say, hey, I've never done that, but I'm all over it. Let's do it.
0: We some does that resonate with you at all?
2: 100%. I think in my joining of Educause, I also joined through the pandemic and I was kind of on a virtual platform, which made it even a touch harder for me to meet people. So the YPAC was an excellent way for me to, to share experiences where I think one of the great values of YPAC was it reduced that intimidation and it allowed you to be a little more vulnerable because you're around folks that you believe are sharing a lot of your experiences because it is reflective of folks that are in the first decade or so of their experience, but even... To be honest, everybody feels these things, but that space, it gives you that initial strength to kind of say, yeah, maybe I don't know this. And maybe I have a little more comfort that maybe a couple more people around the room aren't going to roll their eyes and they'll say, yes, I I do too. So that that was one of the ways that I saw value.
1: Luke, just following up on what you were saying earlier, your institution is a community college. And is there anything specific to community colleges that has that the
3: YPAC has helped you address? For me, a technical or community college, the YPAC bridged some of the differences in the different types of institutional types. Mm -hmm. And it really opened my eyes to why can't we do some of the things that other institutions are doing, even though we have a lot of hands-on programs or first-generation college students or A lot of transient students that aren't here for very long, their goals to transfer out or their goals to come get this training for this one course. But why can't we do it better? And not that our institution wasn't doing it great. They were doing really good things and we still are. But in some cases, we were working really hard. And so it really opened a lot of the community where I could have those conversations to say, why not? Or why can't we have this single entrance into our digital campus community like you would picture a gate at a lot of the private institutions because you know you're on the campus and you pass the library and you pass your advisor and you pass all these folks. Why can't we create that own, that same experience here? And so it was through those relationships that we started. And I want to be very clear. My institution was doing some amazing things, but we didn't, in IT, we weren't looking at that partnership level mm-hmm. uh, and really saying, how do we partner with the institution? Because it's not about IT. As I engaged more with the YPAC, there was a marketing person and there's a person who is deep in data like we some is. And so there was these bits of challenging that folks would do as they brought their strengths to the table. And they, and again, I would say folks weren't afraid to speak up and speak out. They were okay to be wrong. They were okay to say, oh, I really looked like a fool in that. But they were voicing that. And so folks felt the encouragement to speak out. And we were able to do some really cool things and practices that I'm able to bring back to my institution.
1: You're really talking about, you know, having a community. Mm-hmm. And are there things that that you think that we, that groups like Educause could be doing to further engage the community in technical colleges?
3: But I think within Educause, if we're a community of learning and a community of engaging each other, really being vulnerable with each other. Um so I remember a conversation with the YPAC where there were some folks that were struggling because of role changes, because of various life things that were going on. This was in the middle of the pandemic and after some conversations with different members of the YPAC or after different kind of conversations with other folks, there was a sense it was a sense of hey, We're here to serve you, YPAC, just like you're here to serve the Educause community. We're here to serve each other and hold each other accountable in ways, but then also say, hey, I got your back. What can I help you with? What can we take off your plate? Like, I'm there with you. And so I think from an Educause perspective, really stepping back and saying, hey, we don't all have this figured out. Mm -hmm. We're all going down the same path together. And so from an EDUCAUSE perspective, one of the things that I've tried to really encourage folks to do is be vulnerable. You know, Brene Brown talks about it. I think every IT person should read The Power of Vulnerability or listen to her talk because we need to be emulating that because none of us are alone. And so I think for EDUCAUSE, bringing that level of vulnerability to the forefront of we don't need to talk about that that successful project. Yes, I want to hear about it, but how many times are there failed projects or things we did wrong, that really is often very formative. Thank you. So
1: so I'm going to switch gears a little bit. So the title of this podcast is the Integrative CIO, and both of you are in CIO roles on your campuses. And in our podcast, we've been interested in exploring how the CIO works inside of IT and across the institution and with others outside of the institution to, to support the mission. So With that in mind, what does the integrative CIO mean to you, and what do you think we need to do to help leaders deliver on
2: what it means?
1: Wisan, maybe we should start with you.
2: Sure thing. Thank you. In my experience of eight months now being in the interim role at Cleveland State University, we've been internally focused very much on making sure that we're coming back from the pandemic healthy. We're understanding how to integrate and communicate face to face again, making sure that we are all inclusive in our health practices and we are very inclusive in where people get their news from. And and that is my first and foremost focus right now is to make sure that we are a healthy community that is learning how to now embrace both hybrid workforce, but also the face to face and get back into it naturally and allow people to come through my work with our team. And as we kind of navigate that, we are also trying to be more efficient and more strategic about the work that we're doing. Through this loss, we've lost a lot of IT employees to, to the private market and the competition is very hot right now. So part of my first point was also to create within our team, a sense of community and loyalty and remind people of the great mission that Cleveland State is representing. But also with smaller workforce, we need to be more focused on the work that we do. And that's what I'm working with the team on now to make sure that we are strategic and that we are efficient because we really are having a hard time recruiting, but our projects and our mission and our technologies are only growing. Mm-hmm. Outside of our department, I'm working with new leadership. So we have a new president as of a couple of weeks ago that we are very excited to welcome into that office. And that brought in a new provost as well. So making sure that we are accessible, that we are there to co-write both of our strategies and make sure that we are on the same team trying to help the students is outside of our department. The The relational aspect that I focus on and spend a great deal of my time on, making sure that we are aligned with the campus strategy and that we are an integral part of it. So,
1: Luke, what what does the integrative
3: CIO mean to you? Our campus vision is passionate people transforming lives and building strong communities, one student at a time. That's our vision as an institution. And within IT, with my role as the CIO. It's not any different than that. And that's really easy to say, oh, it's no different than the campus mission mission or vision or values, or what, right? But then what does it look like to live it out? And so really coming under the vision of the college, coming within the strategy and saying, how is the IT strategy aligning with those? For us, we have four strategies. They're each one page. That's our IT strategy. Four one-page strategies. We have a data strategy, a user experience strategy, a hosting versus hosted, and a security strategy. That's it. They're one page, anybody can pick it up and read it and go, oh yeah, yeah, I want that. That's what we need to be after. We need one entry into our digital campus community or yeah, we should have a 360 degree view of the student. Not because it's an IT thing, but because it's how we wanna engage those students because they're people and it's one student at a time, not all students or because you're a student, we're gonna call you student 47835, right? That's not the goal. And so we need to say, How are our practices falling within the the vision of the institution?
2: And to your point, Luke, you can build that 360 vision only through collaborating with your provost or your enrollment management VP and having those relationships and that understanding of what they need, bringing it back to the IT department and then enabling that vision with that information, right? So 100% agree with you.
3: Sometimes that means having hard conversations. Sometimes it means saying, hey, I hear what you're saying. I do. I really do hear what you're saying. However, I think this is what you're really after. And if we do that, we can do that. But you're not going to be able to achieve what you're really after over on the other side. And that credibility to say that and then do that is is hard. And that takes time to build because the first time they're going to be like, yeah, but there's all these either failures or these places where you didn't deliver. Why should I believe you over here? And so it's building that credibility as well.
0: I love the back and forth between you two on that topic. And that's really great. And I was thinking about the fact that so often I have conversations with one of our sort of key users and I'll hear, well, I need X. And part of my job is to be saying, well, I've heard you need X and this person over here needs Z. But if we thought about it a little bit differently, we could be doing both. And have you two talked and can we get people together to be seeing how we we do both by being able to compromise and understand each other's needs? And that power of sort of using the IT leader to help forge these conversations, and sometimes they're difficult. One of the superpowers of the integrative CIO, and it seems like both of you have that,
1: I agree, and I heard running through that exchange just now is the importance of building really good and strong relationships on your campus, and that is what enables you to have the hard conversations and make those decisions and trade-offs.
0: Luke, I loved your reference to Brenny Brown, and I listen to her podcast all the time because if you haven't built connection and trust, you can't have difficult conversations,
3: Absolutely. Well, and I keep a box of tissues in my office for a reason. It's amazing <laughs> the conversations that folks will come in and plop down in a chair, right? And it's not, there's no training for that as a CIO, but that's part of the engagement because it's often something else that's driving some response that's happening. And I think the, you know, the last thing we want to hear is another thing about COVID or the pandemic that really hurt a lot of the relational capital that was built of just popping into somebody's office Mm -hmm. or engaging at very different levels. Luke, the thing is, these micro-interactions
2: enable you to do bigger and achieve bigger level compromises amongst team members. And Jack was mentioning where we would, in our role as CIOs, we hear a lot of conversations and we can then unify and bring different people together that may be similar in their vision. But I've seen folks in my experience challenge that as, quote unquote, a waste of time. And I wouldn't really, depending on how you value relationships and you value that sense of community, I would challenge that view and and say that these micro-interactions actually build a very healthy and foundational aspect to the department and to the college as a whole.
3: I can't even begin to say who said this. So this isn't my quote. So- (laughs) But folks don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And showing up and listening and just being in proximity sometimes, like you said, it's a micro thing and it can take a lot of time though, but the credibility that can build is you can't measure.
0: So I'm going to come and want to delve into this a little deeper because we know the pandemic is reshaping work, especially among my younger employees they have been challenged. and We've had virtual school in some instances. They're still dealing with the fact that COVID happens. I've also seen some of my teams thrive in ways that are just amazing being remote because as introverts, they've used the technology to interact so much more deeply with one another through the sort of ad hoc communication tools that we see that people are doing. And so I'm curious from the YPAC and from your own personal and professional experiences, how are you thinking about how this might be reshaping work? Wiza, you want to go first? So
2: with how we are forming I say flexibility is key around getting the majority of your work staff, allowing adults and professionals to be professionals and trusting them with the work and managing by objective. You allow the individual within reason to take charge of how they are to complete the work and you outline what your objectives are from a community building perspective and you allow that person to achieve it in the ways that they feel comfortable. I am a non-typical IT person. I'm very much an extrovert on the scale of introvert to extrovert and a lot of my colleagues are not. And while I might feel very warm and fuzzy in a bonding brunch that we host for the department, lots of other folks might not feel as fuzzy as I do. And I respect that. And I would like and I encourage each of my employees to engage in the ways that it makes them comfortable, either health wise because of the pandemic or have it be personality-wise because of their preference. But being an all-inclusive department meaning means you respect everybody's preference and you treat everybody as like a professional. And if people don't deliver on the objective, then that becomes a different conversation.
0: So as follow-up, you're then in a hybrid strategy that's more personalized. Correct. And
3: Luke? Yeah, some of the points that we saw make is spot on. I think the pandemic forced us to shift from, I know you're working because I can see your eyeballs, and the perception is that you're working because you're sitting at a seat at work, to what are we accomplishing? And in a lot of cases, a great deal was accomplished. A great deal was accomplished. We did things that we only dreamed of three years ago, and we did them in speeds that was so fast. But yet, I think we're paying a great deal now because it wasn't sustainable. And going at that speed has cost us some huge, huge ways from burnout and folks saying like, oh, yet not yet another thing, right? And so, how do we how do we engage those folks to get them back to that place where they are a high performer, but it's not always taking one more thing? It's a question I keep asking. Okay, folks are burned out. How do we get them back to where they're not burned out? And it's not take three months off because unfortunately we don't have that luxury. It's how do we do that in meaningful ways in different folks need that in different ways. There's some teams where work can be successfully completed while working from home, but there is value in seeing faces. There is value from the ad hoc water cooler conversations and hearing somebody's laugh from across the suite, right? We're trying to figure out what does it look like? And no, not every role can be successful. And so we're setting some folks up for failure, whether it's personality or job type or role by putting them in a work from home environment. But we're setting some folks up for a lot of affinity for the organization by saying, hey, work from home. We know you can be successful. You have proven that over and over and over and over. This is a huge sign of trust. And no, you don't need to be physically here all the time to be able to be successful. And one of the conversations we've had is it's about equity in that, not fairness, right? Everybody's. We've got to look at what you can do in your role to be successful because I can't set you up for being not successful if one of those roles comes open, yeah, we would love to develop you so you can step into that. So there's been a lot of those types of conversations.
2: And Luke, in the last five or six hires that we've had at Cleveland State University, every interview asked about hybrid flexibility. So I am very challenged as a leader in an IT organization to lead in an organization that wouldn't allow you to have such flexibility because the talent these days is dictating that you provide it and i'm all for it right again back to the whole like leading by objective and not your location doesn't mean you know you are, or are not doing work so the workforce itself is dictating this new reality and i think it's also a generational thing where as we see more millennials and Gen Z's and Gen Y's all come through, they're going to push this envelope further of work-life balance, of the amount of hours and in, in, in multitasking and doing laundry while going back and hopping on a meeting, that kind of dynamic.
3: Yeah. It's how do we navigate to this new normal? Well, that's not normal for a lot of folks, right? That's not what they're used to. That's not the past 25 years of their career that they've spent doing this. And so for a lot of folks, there's a lot of loss that's going on, at least that I'm seeing in some of the community we have here in South Carolina as I engage with folks at private, public, technical colleges, you know, other institutions. So there seems to be a a great deal of loss to some degree as well, where there's a lot of folks saying, yeah, work from home oh, there's this loss that's happening because it's the loss of the workplace. It's the loss of some of those relationships. From my perspective, you still need to find a place that aligns with the values you have as an individual and the work-life balance you're after, regardless of work from home.
1: Luke, we're having some of those same conversations on my campus. And one of the things that I think about are people who are you know, coming into their careers, maybe this is their first job and we're coming into this hybrid or remote environment. And how, how can we be deliberate ab- about the strategies we use and how we think about developing them, helping them to develop as professionals? And I'm just curious about what you think about that, because it's different than what we did before when we just walked down the hall and said, oh, how are you doing today? How's it going?
3: Whether they're a new employee to your organization or a new career employee, the first several weeks they're in proximity here physically because we have folks rotating through the office. so They're getting to work within shadow folks as they come into the office one day a week throughout those several weeks that they're here. We're doing stand-up meetings in the morning for the teams that are doing this, where they engage every morning. Days where it's they're touching base, they're talking about what's going on, they're talking about best practices, they're talking about priorities they're talking about those things that you normally would just hear randomly in different places but that that doesn't happen on accident we've got to take a different level of intentionality that was by accident in a lot of cases when you're physically in proximity with folks
1: we saw any thoughts on that
2: I'll build on Luke's comment and say that actually being remote made us more intentional about onboarding than onboarding in the office itself. Onboarding in the office was a little chaotic, right? Because Cynthia, if you were joining my team and I was your manager, I'd walk you down the hall and be like, hey, did you meet Cynthia? This is Luke, you know, like, and that kind of informal interaction in between meetings, we would do that and be like, let me run you around the floor. Let me show you where the printer's at. But like now with the managers, we actually sat down and said, When we onboard, we onboard, and in a digital world, this is how we're onboarding. In the first six months, when we interview our candidates, we ask them to come to campus to an 80% basis, like a four out of five days for the first set amount of time. The manager has that flexibility, but we ask then that we add these folks that we all are there on a rotation basis so they get to meet us in person, they get to put a face to the name, and they get that interaction. And then from there, if they need something from a web team or from a server team and they want to reach out, they kind of know who we are. But the pandemic made us more intentional about it. I'll tell you that we do a better job post-pandemic in a hybrid world than we ever did in person, which was kind of interesting because intentionality flipped that.
0: We're very flexible. And one of the key things we've also sort of said is, look, if you're supposed to be here a few days a week, That doesn't mean you have to be here eight to five. If coming in at 10 is what's going to make your schedule work, because maybe you want to see your children get off to school or traffic is just awful. If you come leave at eight, let's have the conversation so that the time that you're coming in, you can be productive. You're not taxed. That's one of the key elements that you've both sort of talked about is flexibility, personalization, looking at employees as people and trying to be sure that you're interacting in a way that's going to meet their needs, but also meet the institution's needs. So that's a great conversation. And I'm going to switch on you. I'm going to go to another important conversation. You're both at really diverse institutions. And I'm curious how you're helping your institutional IT staffs and your institutional teams be diverse and also support that diversity of your institutions.
3: I think finding qualified folks who, or folks who have the capacity even, to perform and do what we need them to do has gotten much tougher, right? And so I think in some ways though, it's forcing us to look in different pools than we may have looked before. You know, and engage different groups where it may have been easy just to post a job posting and you get 30 applicants and you had your top five that you could pick from. But I think one of the silver linings in some of the hard to fill roles now, though, is we may be having to grow more of our own talent. That's a conversation we're having is how do we increase those efforts in finding folks who have the desire, the capacity, but they may not know today. So, we're taking part time students who are actually students here right now in training and training them. Also, engaging a lot of the underserved communities around us, engaging folks who are in different areas with those job openings.
2: At Cleveland State, we are a very diverse community and, and our student population is also very diverse. And we were voted number one in social mobility in the state of Ohio with the student population that we serve. So the mission is incredible. And the student diversity is very evident. And most recently, the administration brought in a VP for diversity to also reinforce it not only amongst students, but amongst staff and faculty. I think as we branch and also educate more foreign students and invest in that pipeline, it is our charge to have our staff and faculty reflect the student base that we have, which will help our student base feel welcome when they walk into classrooms or into offices and they see people that look and resemble and have similar experiences as they do. I personally am a first-generation Lebanese-American i um, also an LGBTQ plus community member. And there aren't a lot of folks that look or feel or think like me in circles that I've been a part of and bringing that to the workforce, bringing diversity from not only from a gender perspective or not only from an ethnic perspective, but also bringing diversity from a mentality. Bringing the non-traditional background, the the resume that doesn't sound like IT, but giving them a chance because of their attitude and their growth mindset. Diversity has a lot of meaning outside of our traditional gender and ethnic, what you can see in your eyes, right? There's a lot of diversity and actually stuff that you can't see. And building a community that truly is respectful and that takes the moment to be like, why did Cynthia say that? Or why did Luke say this? or and being inquisitive and not defensive is the community that then welcomes this diversity. And I've been challenging these ideas very much in my growth as a CIO. And I've encountered folks that may or may not have appreciated my personal <laughs> lifestyle or other But I strive every day to make my community more inclusive and more reflective of our student base and of life in general.
3: Do you think we saw that folks are taking a different approach to assuming the best in somebody and the comments they make versus assuming the worst in what happened?
2: Right. And I always lead with giving people the benefit of the doubt. And I always lead with asking people to repeat or rephrase what they said. And I always listen and say, here's what I heard you say, Cynthia, is that what you meant? And give people a chance to re- rephrase or commit, right? And then we can debate because that's what we do in higher ed is everybody's opinion is valued regardless if you think it's right for you or not. But the essence of higher ed is the debate and the ability to, to agree to disagree sometimes.
1: You know, this has been a really terrific conversation. And as we look to wrap things up, I just wanted to ask if you thought there were any other lessons learned from the pandemic, because we touched on a number of those things, that you think are especially important for yourself or maybe more broadly for your institution. Wissam, do you want to start?
2: Sure. I think, and this is reflective in a lot of the conversation that, I've shared with you today, but if I wanted to stress on one thing that I learned from this, through this hard experience that we are still navigating in a lot of places, we employ human beings first and foremost, nothing is that important. This is not life and death, like focus on the employee and make sure that they are the best they can be. And then from there, all of the other problems will solve themselves out. Lead with the person, lead with the human, be patient. And I think that's the key to success. And that's the lesson I learned from the pandemic.
0: Luke?
3: Yeah, I kind of have, I have two things. We accomplished a great deal in a very short amount of time during the pandemic. But there was very clear priorities of things that we needed to accomplish to ensure that we could still care for students well in a remote capacity, teach students well in a remote capacity, enroll and recruits. Like as we go through all these pieces, I would say priorities among the things we're doing is really key. I can focus on those things and I, don't, I can ignore some of the noise that's hitting me from other folks. And then lastly, I heard a lot of IT folks during the pandemic say, I'm not sure we're going to have to figure that out. And I think what I would say is it's okay not to have all the right answers or have all the answers that to say, hey, I'm going to have to get back to you, or we're going to have to figure that out together, or let's sit down and, and dig through this. And I think there's a level of comfort from folks in our communities when we don't come with the answer right away, when we sit down to solve it with them. We're in this together.
2: I want to second you, Luke, on the corporate governance comment. I think that through the pandemic, we were focused and we executed and we achieved a lot because of corporate governance, because of the layers of executive leadership that were hyper-focused and then the second layer of leadership that was hyper-focused on getting it done. And when you go back outside of the pandemic and that hyper-focus goes away, that was a great example of corporate governance working at its best. And IT governance only works as good
0: as corporate governance. I just want to thank you both. This was a great conversation, focusing on people, being able to say, I don't know, but I'll get back to you. I don't think we could end this on any better advice. So thank you.